Welcome to Reframing Our Stories, the podcast. This podcast is about provocative conversations with beautiful thinkers about topics that matter and the stories that have helped them reframe their lives. Grab something cozy or put on your walking shoes and let's reframe. On today's show, I am very excited to be talking with a woman who takes after my own soul, the Reverend Kelsey Beebe. Kelsey is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. She serves as a solo pastor at two churches just south of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and is the executive minister and president of Dancing Pastor Ministries and host of the Lady Preacher podcast. She is known by some as the Dancing Pastor. Dancing Pastor Ministries is a nonprofit ministry focused on uniting body and soul, dance and religion, movement and faith. In her years of ministry, she has worked with people from many different walks of life. She believes in helping them find safe, embodied ways to connect more deeply to themselves, to others, and to God. Through her Dancing Pastor Ministries, she has led retreats all over the nation and in Costa Rica. I become a big fan of hers and the way she moves in this world through her words, service, and presence. Kelsey, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. I am so glad you're here. I love when I stumbled upon upon your website, (laughs) like I do. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I don't know how I do this, but somehow things find me on the internet. And I was just so excited. I was like, look at this person doing ministry with dance. I love it because as you know, I dance as well. And so um, I wanted to do similar things that I have not. And I saw you were doing it and I was like, well, I need to know this person. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's like we're kindred spirits. It's great. (laughs) I really, there's so much about it that I just absolutely, I just love. So what was your call into ministry then? That is such a, it's a big question and I, it's generally a long-winded answer, but I'll try to give you the short version. So uh, everyone answers in seminary as well. Right. (laughs) Why are you here? (laughs) Yes. What is my why? So um, my mom was a pastor in the United Church of Christ and she passed away when I was four. And a phrase that I commonly use is that I am not grateful for her death, but I am grateful for the way that God created resurrection and redemption out of that loss. Yeah. And so one of the ways that God kind of redeemed that for me and allowed for resurrection in my life was all the ways that I got to see the fruits of my mom's ministry. Mm. So my family, my dad and my brother, and I stayed at the church where my mom had been the pastor, oh, wow. which was such a huge, huge gift that that church gave us. Mm-hmm. And what I had the blessing of receiving were all the stories about how my mom had touched people's lives, all the ways that she made people feel loved and seen and heard. And from a really young age, I I latched onto this idea of like, I want to be that for a long time. It was, I want to be my mom. Like I, you know, this woman who people like I mean, I'm sure she had her quirks and like things that irritated people as everyone does. But like when you remember someone, you tend to remember 
a lot of the good things and tell those stories. And so I, I wanted to embody that kind of as a way to get to know her because as a four-year-old losing her, you know, I, I didn't have a whole lot of memories. Sure. And so hearing these stories became my memory and my way of knowing her. And so I was like, okay, I want to, I want to be her. I want to embody this. And as I got older, it was, you know, this is, this is what I want to, to do in the world. And this is what I want to be. And part of it, you know, you asked me before we got on to send you like, what's a story I've had to rework. And it's a lot of having to do with my mom, because I thought, so she had MS, multiple sclerosis mm -hmm. and multiple sclerosis is a disease that stays dormant in someone's body until something triggers it. Mm -hmm. And for women, pregnancy and birth are triggers for the symptoms of MS to kind of rise to the surface. And she was diagnosed with MS four months after I was born. Oh, really? And so in elementary school, I like did this research project on MS and learned this and then did the math, like in my own head of like, yeah. I killed my mom. Like my birth is what caused her symptoms to come to the surface. And like, if I hadn't been born, like she'd still be here and like people would still have this love in their lives and like still have this amazing person ministering to them. Mm -hmm. So I carried this weight of like responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a part of wanting to like, well, I want to bring love into the world because I took it out. Mm -hmm. So I reworked that for a long time. And, and it took me a long time to even realize I was still carrying that as an adult. Like I thought, you know, after years of therapy, <laughs> I had let that story go, but I, it was just kind of buried under the surface. Mm -hmm. And I, so that was a large part of my call. I told you this was a long-winded answer. This is all a part of my call that, that I, you know, it started by wanting to kind of fill my mother's shoes and wanting to pour love back in where I thought it had been taken out. Um, but it eventually evolved into something that I felt called to just as me. Mm -hmm. that I realized I had these gifts mm -hmm. of caring for people that the way that I had been able to walk through grief and trauma, I could help other people through that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so it really became like, almost like she handed the torch over to me and was like, okay, carry this forward. And I, I wove dance and movement into that because I found that I was able to connect people to the spirit and to connect people to God's love through movement, whether it was me moving or working with other dancers and creating a choreographed piece, mm -hmm. that this was a vessel mm -hmm. that I could provide a space for experiencing God's great love. Right. And so I accepted the call. I said, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll go for it. I'll do it. And I was in college when the moment became really clear for me. Mm -hmm. I was in a class and we were reading this book that's really hilarious and quite heretical, but it's called Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. <laughs> and it's this like, it's a made up story about Jesus's childhood best friend, Biff. Um, and Biff writes a gospel, like the angels bring him back to life to like write a gospel. <laughs> and it's so funny, but there's a line in it. Jesus's character, it's his Hebrew name, Joshua. Mm -hmm. And Joshua tells Biff 
Love is not something you think about. It's a state in which you dwell. Mm. And I read that line and we were talking about it in class. And I had this experience where I was like, I was almost in, I don't want to say out of body. Cause it was kind of fully in my body mm-hmm. of like, I knew, I knew in that moment, reading this quote, that this was my call mm. to help people experience dwelling mm. in God's love through ministry and movement. And I knew in that moment, I wasn't supposed to choose dance over ministry or ministry over dance that they were one. Yeah. that's. And good. I like, I left the class and I like ran to my dance professor and I was like, Dana, I know what I'm supposed to do with my life. Oh, that is so, <laughs> so that was, that was my call. And I said, yes. And I, I got my master's in dance and my master's in divinity at the same time, which at was the same time. Yeah. It was a little, um, a little crazy, but you know, I, I did it. So here I am doing you dance and ministry and masters in dance and masters in divinity at the same time. So I, I got my master's in dance at St. Mary's College of California, okay. which is actually where I did my undergraduate work. And it was the very first year that they had this master's program. No way. Yeah. And it worked out really well because 30 minutes away was Pacific School of Religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had kind of felt I wanted to go to seminary there. I didn't know for sure, but the way these programs lined up, um, the MFA for dance was supposed to be intensive in January and June and then part-time fall and spring semester hmm. and that's unusual. seminary. Yeah. Unusual. Right. It was supposed to be a, a way for people to be distance learners. So we had people from like Virginia who came and, you know, kind of all over who were distance learners. So they were there for January and June, but remote the rest of the year. Hmm. Um, And then seminary, of course, was fall semester and spring semester, but no classes in January and June. So I was like, I could do this. This is like (laughs) (laughs) part time also was like not real. It was definitely full time. So, (laughs) you know, it was their first year. So that we were all learning. But yeah, it was a, a great experience. And I often say that, you know, my education for my master's in divinity was kind of infiltrated by dance. And then my master's in dance was really infiltrated with theology. So it was, they wove together really beautifully for me. So I feel that kinship with you in that sense, because I told people we got to also experience a similar teacher, Carla Mm. from PSR. But I remember telling people I learned more about the Bible in my dance classes than I did in my Bible classes. Mm. Because for me, that... And I'm sure that's the same for you. It's like that connection of the body and being able to uh, put the words of scripture within your body and to move to it had such, was so profound and just made me connect to it on a different way. And I just think about the fact that through your story, you have this way now because you experienced grief from such a young age that you have this insight, right? And this sense of empathy or a knowing that probably many people aren't as in touch with or who maybe get to that point where they can sit with it, you know? Right. And then I think about the book that I absolutely love, The Body Keeps the Score and how we often think we're over things 
yes. until our body starts moving. And then we're like, oh, we're not. Right. <laughs> oh, That's we're not. so true. Oh. Right. Right. And I think for me, I've heard a lot of dancers say dance is my escape. And that was so not true for me. Dance for me was my therapy. It wasn't an escape. It was a way through. It was like, I'm going to trudge through my grief with this tool. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to bring all of myself and like, and that's how it really became prayer for me. Cause I was like, all right, God, like, <laughs> we, we got to work through this. And like the way I know how to work through this is through my body. Mm-hmm. And so it was a And I I think that's true for a a lot of people through different venues, you know, for some people it's music. Like my brother's a pianist and for him, like playing music is his prayer. Mm -hmm. And for others, maybe it's art or writing or, you know, whatever it may be. We all have our ways of, of connecting to God and finding healing. And for some of us, it's movement. And for others, it's, you know, other ways of using their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I also think though a form, you know, it's a movement putting in a different direction, right? Because mm-hmm. with your brother playing piano, I always tell people that too, like even writing, you know, I feel like we have to find these physical outlets for our bodies in some way, even like moving a pen across the paper has a form of movement to it that can be healing, right? And Absolutely. So you sort of answer this, but I want to ask this again if I may, um, if you can add more depth to it. But uh, my favorite dancer is Isadora Duncan. And she had said this quote, if I could tell you what it meant, there would be no point in dancing it. So my question is then how does movement as you have sort of alluded to already offer you meaning in which words cannot? Mm. And then what is your connection with the divine through movement? And how has it changed you? You know, because you have, you'd already kind of talked a bit about the connection and being able to heal and therapy. Um, But when, I guess then the question would be like, when did you know that? Like, when did you put those things Mm. together? I love these questions. So for me, I'll start from the beginning about what, what does movement provide that words cannot? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I wish I could like be visual with a podcast sometimes <laughs> because my husband gets so frustrated with me. So he's a words person mm-hmm. and I am a movement person. Mm-hmm. And so like the other day I was trying to describe something to him and I like made a noise, but did a movement with it. And he was like, what? what are you talking about? And I'm like, I don't know the word for it, but it's like, boop. And he's like, no, 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 (laughs) I need like word. And I think that's been true my whole life is words didn't necessarily come easily for me in terms of describing what I was feeling, especially, or what I was experiencing. You know, when you lose your mom at age four, like I didn't have the words to describe grief or fear or, you know, whatever it was I was experiencing, even as I grew up, I didn't have words. And so what I found was movement could express, like when I was angry, I could move my body in an angry way. Mm. Um, when I was joyful, I could move my body in a joyful way. When I felt sexy, I could move my body in a sexy way or prayerful. You know, I lift my heart and raise my arms, Mm. you know, there's, 
different ways that I could really express these are the things I'm feeling, but I can't put it into words. I, but I can express it in my body. And it goes back to one of those things where it's different for everyone. You know, my dad will watch a piece where I'm like moved to tears and he's like, what on earth? did that mean? Which is great. Like he finds me and my dad's an economist. And so like, he can find meaning in things that I look at and I'm like, this is, I don't know, marks on a page. I don't understand this. (laughs) So, but it's, so it's different for all of us. And so, yeah, for me, it was, I'm putting it into movement because I don't have the words for it. Mm -hmm. And for other people who might watch that movement or experience that movement, they make meaning of their own. I remember I I choreographed this piece once about, um, about a a friend who, um, had passed from overdose Mm. and how there wasn't anything I could do. Couldn't change things for them. I couldn't, there wasn't a way I could necessarily intervene. And I worked with the dancers and we the process I did and the process I use with dancers is to talk about like, what is, what does this mean for you? Like, what are experiences you have had where like someone in your life was going through something and there wasn't really a way you could be there for them or, you know, vice versa. Like how, how have you needed to lean on other people? Mm -hmm. And maybe they, they missed you they were there or they weren't there. And what, what was that experience? And so we choreographed this piece and afterwards I had people who I didn't even know coming up to me and saying, Oh, that just made me cry. Mm. It was so beautiful. And they would tell me a memory that came up for them that maybe had absolutely nothing to do with what I choreographed it about, but the meaning they made from it Mm. connected to them. And I think that's because the dancers on the stage were wanting to communicate whatever pain they had experienced. They poured that into their movement. And so the audience watching it could experience that. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's a, a technical term for it. And uh, I hope that it's mimetic kinesis, hmm. which is kind of like mime. So when you see someone who throws out their back, like if you you're literally watching it happen. Your automatic reaction is usually to touch your back. Mm. Yeah. Right. Because we have neurons that we have with each other. Yeah. Yeah. Our mirror neurons. And, and so we kind of experience that in our bodies and it's the same thing when we watch dance Mm -hmm. that we tend to, to mirror what is happening and experience it in our bodies. And maybe we don't have words for that. I mean, maybe we do, but that's, that's what it is, is for me is, creating an experience for people where they can hopefully find healing just by, by watching it. They can go through something because they're watching other people go through it in their bodies. Well, I feel Um, like bodies in and themselves and how we move. Like I always tell people, I'm like, body language is the universal language. We can, we can see and tell how a person is feeling based on watching them and seeing their face and then seeing their movements and you know what I mean? And that gets us in touch too with mm-hmm. um, whatever that sort of movement could impact whatever emotion, right. That we have related to that. So that's one reason too, why I think dance is so powerful 
just like, as you said, because so many people you're touching on so many different um, stories. Right. Right. And like, if you think about it, I love that you say dance is the universal language because dance movement was the first way that people communicated. I mean, I, I don't know, I can't trace history back to the first humans, but (laughs) if I could, you know, I would imagine that it was through moving their bodies Mm -hmm. that they communicated before they had language to communicate. Mm -hmm. And perhaps it was putting sound to movement that eventually led to language, but movement was the first. And, you know, if we think about maybe then movement was the first way we communicated with God. Mm -hmm. That's so fun. I know this is like my jam. I love this. <laughs> like that just makes me feel so many things. <laughs> uh, so have you had the experience then with other people, those who maybe are not privy to movement or feel uh, like they can't dance and they can't do this. Have you incorporated movement in their lives in a way that has impacted them or changed their minds? Oh, I love that question. Have I changed anyone's mind? I think for those folks, often you can't necessarily change their minds through movement, that sometimes it takes words to lead them there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I have come to find is helpful is talking about how any movement is dance. Mm -hmm. That we tend to, as with everything, put things in a hierarchy And particularly in the word of world of dance, you know, a ballerina doing the 32 fuetes in Swan Lake, like that is dance, Mm -hmm. but dance is also like tapping your foot. Mm -hmm. Dance is also brushing your teeth. Like all of these things, dance is just movement. Mm -hmm. Like that's the definition of dance is movement. And you could layer things onto that, like rhythmic movement. But for me, I... I define it as movement. So if all you can do is like wiggle your eyebrows, like you're dancing. Yeah. And so what is, what does that look like for you? What does that mean for you? And I think that helps people see it in a different way that, you know, when I talk about how dance is prayer, that can also be like going for a walk. Like that is, Mm -hmm. that's prayer going for a walk to like work out whatever you need to, to work out in your mind. That's a prayer. And you're moving in that prayer. Um, you know, people who might fiddle with something in their hand, um, you know, all of these things can be prayer. And for me, it's just, what's, what's the intentionality behind it mm-hmm. as you're brushing your teeth? Like you could just be brushing your teeth or you could be brushing your teeth and like, I don't know, thinking about people you care about and that's movement is prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think helping people see it that way helps them change their minds. They may not buy it (laughs) right away, but (laughs) it makes it, I think it makes it more accessible. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way I do it, like in an intentional setting might be too, is like with my churches, many of the folks in my congregation would say, we're not dancers but I might teach a moving prayer to the children, like something with our hands. Mm -hmm. And then I'll say, should we invite the adults to do this with us? And of course they always say yes. Mm -hmm. And so then I invite the adults to do these hand motions with us. And all of a sudden we're dancing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. They don't even know it. <laughs> and, and we're dancing. So that's, that's how I invite people in. And I've had folks talk about how they were surprised at, you know, how moved they were by that experience. Mm-hmm. So it's powerful. So what do you think? Why do you think that we are so, what's the word I'm looking for? Disengaged now from our bodies. It's almost when we ask people to be within their bodies or to explore simple movement, there is an element of trepidation and fear. So where do you think that comes from? I think it comes from shame. That's the word that automatically came to me is shame. We have been told for so long that our bodies are bad. Our bodies are not good, particularly people who were raised I want to say in the evangelical church, but probably any church, um, not all churches. Um, that was not a story that was true in my church, but a lot of churches say like, you can't trust your body. You can't trust anything of the flesh. It's all bad. Mm -hmm. Um, so we've been told that our bodies are not good, that moving them is not good, that, um, careful how you move. It might be seen as sexy. Um, all these different stories of shame have been piled onto us over and over and over again. You know, we're looked at weird when we're at the middle school dance or the elementary school sock hop, someone looks at us and is like, Oh, what are you doing? And from that moment on, you're not a dancer and you feel shame about moving your body. But yeah, I, I think that, um, shame really has, it has a, a big grip on us. And so when I'm inviting people, like you asked, you know, how do I help people, you know, change their minds about whether or not they're a dancer, you're often peeling back a lot of layers of shame and trying to help people see themselves and their bodies as good. And that's hard. And what do you see happen to their bodies when you invite them to do that? Mm -hmm. So there's freedom. There's a lot of freedom that comes when when you can finally peel back those layers, it's kind of like you're, you're, they're in a cage and you're just like, here, here's how we can take those bars away. Mm -hmm. Here's how we can cut those chains. And they're like, oh, oh, my wings aren't clipped anymore. I can move a little more freely. And it like, it starts small and then eventually, you know, it gets bigger and bigger as they start to give themselves permission to what would be your ideal worship experience? Oh, okay. <laughs> I have a whole vision. I just see like this, this freeing that you are talking about. And I would delight if we could move more in church and in worship experiences. And I've recognized within myself that a traditional kind of worship experience doesn't feel like worship for me anymore as I'm getting older I'm putting more of that together and for me worship was always incorporated with movement and dance because I did dance in churches and stuff but it was also incorporated with nature because I I did a lot of ministry outside outdoor ministry and so I have my ideas of a perfect kind of worshiping space for myself so I'm curious for you then as I'm imagining imagine that was not a word, imagining <laughs> these wings, you know, coming out and people feeling this sense of freedom. So what, again, what is your perfect experience for you that you wish you could create? 
So in my mind, I have, I feel like I've said this so many times to different people, but have you seen the show Ellen, the Ellen DeGeneres show and how she, she starts it every time with dance. Yes. That is how I want to start every single worship experience, because what that does Mm -hmm. is it automatically puts people into their bodies. Mm -hmm. It automatically makes you feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. when you move your body, even if it's just tapping your foot a little bit, it's like releasing energy into the space Mm -hmm. and it makes people more willing to be open and vulnerable. And so if I could start every worship experience with some kind of movement, you know, it it gets complicated when you think of like, if it needs to be a more somber service, but that's okay too. You can like, you can sway, like the music comes on and you just sway. Mm -hmm. But I also just think of like, let's just jam out, you know, like what, what freedom does that bring when you just, you just move and you dance. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a, a man named St. Gregory of Nyssa and he's back from, I don't know, year 300 or something. And he talked about how his vision of heaven is Jesus leading everyone in a dance. Like it's this vision of unity that we're all, we're like one big glee choir, like we're we're dancing and singing together. And that's, that's my vision of, I don't care what the rest of the worship experience is. I mean, I do, but like my vision of ideal is if you start it with movement, you can go anywhere. Right. Yeah. You can do, go anywhere and do anything. And so one of the things I like to do when I um, do workshops and things like that is I love to start us by just walk around the room, just mm-hmm. move, walk. And I, I give different cues and I'll say, okay, if you're walking at a normal pace, this is a five, bump it up to a nine, take it down to a one. And we're just like, you're just getting the blood flowing. And what that does is it just gives people permission and it gets them back into, or I would, I should say out of fight or flight and into rest, restore, renew a place in their parasympathetic parasympathetic nervous system where they can be more open and feel safe. Mm. And that's really important. That's huge because isn't it true that we often live in the fight and flight because of the fact that we don't, um, because we live in such uh, stress most of the mm-hmm. time that our body, <clears throat> we don't give our body time to, for that rest and renew, like you talk about. And that movement is the first thing and that can help us get out of that. So that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I also think it would be wonderful for like, I think about passing the peace, how we should give children bubbles <laughs> to blow <laughs> instead of, you know, cause a lot, oftentimes I talk about how kids aren't necessarily comfortable with touch and shaking adults' hands and saying that peace be with you. But how playful and wonderful would it be to have bubbles floating around. <laughs> I love that idea. It's also movement, right? Like I, I also think a movement can be in forms of objects that um, we have. And, you know, one um, during a, a worship uh, service when All Saints Sunday, when we were naming those who had passed, 
uh, a church service I was a part of, we all stood in a circle and we had held a candle and uh, we would uh, pass the flame when we mm. said, and that was the movement was the burning flame that went around the circle. Like, you know, like opening up to that, because I feel like it also gets us in touch with a part of ourselves, you know, for those who are very intimidated by movement. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I love that. And some people, like you were saying, don't feel comfortable with touch. Mm -hmm. It feels awkward. It feels awkward to shake hands or even make small talk. Like I know some churches where passing the piece is really, you just turn around in your seat and shake someone's hand, Mm -hmm. but other churches, like people get up, they walk around. It's like a greeting time, you know, (laughs) it takes 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and that's really hard for some people, Mm -hmm. but I love thinking of ways where we can make it a little more accessible, make it feel safer. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, maybe bubbles passing a candle flame, (laughs) high fives like that you know there's a a song that um I had a pastor in California that I worked with and he loved the song like shake another hand shake a hand next to you shake another hand and sing along Mm -hmm. and you know there was different verses like high five or bump somebody's hip or you know Mm -hmm. I feel like you could do something with that too probably (laughs) because then you have the movement as well yeah um so what are the ways you help change the stories that people tell themselves that you incorporate with movement and scripture? I think the biggest story that I help folks unravel is that they aren't good, mm. that they aren't beloved. Mm-hmm. And I think our body is where, you know, you were talking about that book, the body keeps the score. We store those stories in our bodies mm-hmm. and So for example, when I'm teaching a yoga class and I talk about, you know, it's not about what it looks like. It's about what it feels like, or, um, you know, loving your body exactly as it is in this moment with all of its abilities and limitations and reminding your body that it is good, that it's okay to be where it is right now. Talking to folks about how all you have in this moment is the breath you're taking. Mm-hmm. And I can't go back five minutes and get the breath I took five minutes ago. Yeah. I can't think ahead and grab the breath I'm going to take in five minutes. I have the breath that I have right now. And that breath is good. Mm. And so your body as it is right now is good. Mm. We can't go back five years and get the body we had five years ago. We can't go forward and grab that body five years from now your body is good and wonderful as it is in this moment. I love that you just said that, said that because, and that you brought it to breath. Cause just yesterday <laughs> I was talking with a friend who also um, has a past in ministry, but is now a teacher. And we were talking about time, you know, because as parents, we keep thinking like, where's all the time <laughs> gone. And um just with the pandemic and with school and all this stuff, it's just been heavy. And we started contemplating about how moments like that's in the past, everything we just did right now, now is in the past. And now we're moving to the future. And we talked about what really is the present, right? Cause some, just the way that time can move 
and the present is in the breath. Like just with you saying that, I was like, well, that's the present. It's the mm. breath that we're taking right now. You know? Absolutely. So I love that you just said that because that just brought that home. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. I love when that happens. Yeah. That's very cool that we are good with just this breath that we have right now. Yeah. And helping people, you know, undo that story that we have to be more and do more and have more. Mm. No, like you, you are good where you are. Mm. Like, you know, and yoga and dance are really humbling experiences because like I tell folks, you know, tree pose is a balancing pose. You stand on one leg. Generally, you can use one leg. The other leg is a kickstand too, but um, it's generally a one-legged balancing pose. And I tell folks like some days are balanced days and other days are not. And that's a really humbling experience. Like, you know, on Wednesday, I could hold tree pose for five minutes. And today, like my other foot stand on the ground is my kickstand because today is not a balanced day. Mm -hmm. And the thing with movement is all you have is how you are right now in this moment. There's no sense wishing you could go back five years or four or five years or 10 minutes or whatever. Like you've got what you've got right now. And can you welcome that? Yeah. And can you embrace that and, and have the, the grace for yourself to love yourself as you are that day mm -hmm. and know that, you know, the world is constantly in motion and, you know, it's okay that some days are balanced days and other days are not. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And, and giving yourself the grace that comes with it wow. is really powerful mm -hmm. and it creates a kind of a revolutionary acceptance mm -hmm. or a radical acceptance of who you are. Well, you're making me want to go dance after this. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> do it. Yes. <laughs> go breathe. Yeah. <laughs> I need to go breathe right now. Ah, oh, that's so lovely. So what story are you reframing for yourself right now in this moment? Right now in this moment, a story I have been kind of reworking for myself is that I have something to share, mm -hmm. that I have something to share and that my voice is valuable. Mm -hmm. That's been a, you know, I, I think all of us have this battle within ourselves. And for me in particular, I think about, you know, the world is full of incredible, beautiful voices and teachers. And it's that question we all ask, who am I? Who am I to start a podcast? Who am I to write a book? Who am I to fill in the blank? And just reminding myself that there's a reason God puts a call on our hearts yeah, that's and listening to that call and saying yes. And perhaps there's just one person who needs to hear what you have to say mm -hmm. or who needs to experience what you want to do. And that's what matters. There's a beautiful quote. I think it's Emerson and I used to have it on my wall. I had a whole wall of quotes when I was in college. Uh, I was an RA and so people would come in and the first thing they would see is this wall of, of quotes that I loved and they would always find one, you know, that was meaningful for them in that moment. And one of the ones for me was if one life breathes easier because you have lived, that is to succeed. Mm -hmm. And so 
reworking that story for myself of like, if all I do is, is touch one person or affect one person in a positive way, that's fulfilling my call. You know, it doesn't have to be this big multi, multi-million dollar like success because that's rare. What matters is, can I make one person feel loved? Mm -hmm. Can I make one person feel seen or heard? And I have, I, I often have to kind of rein myself in and remember that's what it means to succeed is just to love and share that. And it's really hard, I think, to um, get to those places, especially where it's clear that as humans, we have that desire because it's like we're throwing it out every day. Like <laughs> with social media, I tell you know kids every day, I'm like, why is it so popular? It's because everyone wants to be seen and heard. Everyone wants to know they're okay. And so we're testing it out on each other on a daily basis, you know, and, and if we can get back to those spaces of sitting with ourselves, of breathing, of feeling our bodies and knowing that, like you said, that breath is good. We are good just in these spaces. I feel like that's the kind of transformation we actually need. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I, the thing that came to me as you were saying that is this notion that we matter, mm-hmm. you know, the thing you were saying about social media. Yeah. It's this test of like, do do I matter? Mm-hmm. And we often compare ourselves to other people. Do I matter as much as that person? Mm-hmm. But in truth, you matter because you are. Because mm-hmm. you're, yeah, here you are. Mm-hmm. Well, I, and I feel too, it's, I just, I don't know if I, I can say this, but to me, that quote that you have was also almost loving yourself. You know, it's a chance for you to remember and to remind yourself like you, when you do touch people, it's clear, but just who you are and because you're here, you matter, you know? Yeah. God created you Mm -hmm. and you matter. Mm-hmm. yeah thank you yeah if we can just get everyone to feel that <laughs> you know I feel too <laughs> like that that's why I became a sex educator you know I want people to have better yeah absolutely yeah maybe we all just need a, a deep breath in <laughs> to like let's take a breath and inhale that goodness <laughs> <sighs> yeah <laughs> I love it need to breathe (laughs) and it's funny because I feel like the breath is the thing that's the hardest for us to even understand and get used to Mm -hmm. you know I have I mean my son has really been experiencing hardship and he's a little second grader and gets elevated quickly and it's like we have to teach them how to breathe you know like okay let's Let's focus, let's bring that in because, and I too have to remind myself because I, I constantly get to a place where I'm inhaling and inhaling and inhaling and I forget to exhale. Mm. And I feel like we're, so many of us are just walk around with that lump, you know, residing in our chest of being able to let that go. Yeah. And it's just, it's like such a simple thing. 
<laughs> breathing. Right. Right. Really hard for some. Yeah. Absolutely. I think a lot of us, you know, we tend to either hold our breath, we forget to inhale or we forget to exhale. Mm-hmm. And it's so hard, but just the power of saying, take a breath, inhale and, and saying it lovingly. You know, I've heard people say, take a breath and it's yeah. not, it's not that just breathe. Breathe in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes I say, Kelsey, breathe, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's re- just reminding your body. It's okay. You know, we hold our breath, especially in that fight or flight mode. Yeah. And if we can breathe. That's part of what brings us back into that parasympathetic rest, restore, renew, mm-hmm. because if we're constantly in fight or flight or freeze, mm-hmm. like your body can't digest well, mm-hmm. like the, the, just the physiological effects of being in fight or flight in the sympathetic nervous system. Like it affects your GI system. It affects your bladder. It affects all sorts of things. We can't process properly. Mm -hmm. It's why when someone finally feels safe, that's when they might start crying. Yeah. Like when you're in the moment, you don't often cry. Some do, but some don't. And it's often because it's not until you've your body is like, oh, I'm safe. Now I can have that release. Mm-hmm. And just reminding ourselves, like you were saying, to exhale cues our body that it's safe. Mm-hmm. It cues our body. Now we can release. And like, if you think about just the the way the body is put together, right? Our <laughs> GI system goes from our mouth to our anus. Yeah. And when we exhale it actually cues an opening at the other end. Mm-hmm. Like when people are severely constipated, if you take a bunch of open mouth exhales, yeah, that can help get things moving, which is just yeah. like mind blowing to me when I first learned that, mm-hmm. but it's true. It's our body just needs to be told oh, you can, you're safe. It's okay. I did a workshop actually around body image with um, ages 65 plus. And I talked about, isn't it interesting, you know, I was like making connections of nature and our bodies and like our lungs are like this root system and stuff. But I was like, but if you draw um, the human body and if you draw, there's like a triangle that forms around the lung area, right? And the heart area. And then there's a triangle that forms around the pelvis, And I talk about because those two things are connected, right? And they Mm. need each other to be stable. You know, it's like we have to learn how to bring those things together. And we often don't. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love that image. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It was just to help signify again, like, because we get weak as we get older in our hips and different things like that. And sometimes we have breathing issues. So then how do we find those ways to bring them together and to concentrate and help the one support the other, I guess is really what I was talking about, but yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. So I've, you know, could talk to you for days. (laughs) I feel We have so much that we could talk about. But for those who are interested in dancing pastor ministries and things, so how people can find you and what are you offering and tell us more about that. 
Absolutely. So I am probably most active on Instagram mm-hmm. and my Instagram is at pastor Kelsey B. Mm-hmm. So people can find me there. I'm there a lot. I post a lot of photos of my cat on my stories. <laughs> She's great. Um, but so I post a lot there. Uh, I have a weekly devotional newsletter that I send out and people can sign up for that on my website at dancingpastor.org. And that's where folks can find out more about retreats I might be offering. I've led a few virtual retreats. Um, I'm excited for eventually when it's safe again to do in-person retreats. Those are my absolute favorite. Um, we did one January of 2020. I did a sold out retreat in Costa Rica, which was awesome. Really fun. Um, I don't know that we'll go back, (laughs) but you know, just, uh, opportunities for retreats and, and workshops. I post those on my website regularly and that's how people can find out about it is through my newsletter. Um, cause none of us are always great about like, Oh, let me go to that person's website. No, sign up for the newsletter and you'll, you'll get notified. Um, I post about it on social media as well. Um, and I have a Facebook page for dancing pastor ministries. People want to look there and I have a Facebook group in the works not ready to announce it yet, but there's a Facebook group that'll be starting soon. So, uh, yeah, people can find me all over the place. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. And I just appreciate what you're doing. I think it's wonderful. So makes me excited and so many people need it, right? We need to be reminded of that. We're good. And we need to be reminded of the bodies we have. Like this is, this is our vessel. (laughs) This is how we move through the world. Yeah, it's who you are. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you having me.